I don't think it would come as any surprise to you that I tend to enjoy techie things. He says that as he adjusts his iPhone here at the podium. Uh, I tend to enjoy techie things, but what you got to understand also is I've never been what some people would call an early adopter of technology. I, I tend to wait a little while and make sure they get the bugs worked out before I spend any money. I guess it's because ultimately I'm cheap. Uh, but when the first iPad came out, I thought those were great. I thought, wow, these are amazing. And, and the first iPad came out and, and I didn't get one. My son got one, but I didn't get one. And I thought, you know, let's, let's wait a little while. Then the second iPad came out, the iPad 2, and it had a camera and it was a little faster and a little more memory. And I thought, this isn't bad, but I, I'm going to hold out a little while longer. And then finally, Apple announced not the iPad 3, they went from iPad to iPad 2, then they came out with what they called the new iPad. And I thought, well, this is it. This is the pinnacle. This is probably as good as it's going to get. They're never going to release another iPad. This is the new iPad. And, and it had all the features I wanted. And, and so I saved up my money and I finally took the plunge and I bought the new iPad. And I bragged about my iPad. I'd go to meetings and I'd whip out my iPad and people would say, oh, an iPad. And I'd say, no, no, not just an iPad. This is the finest iPad known to man. This is the fastest iPad. This iPad has the most memory. This is the best iPad. This is the pinnacle of iPads. And I bragged about my iPad for about a month because honestly, almost to the day after I bought it, Apple announced the iPad 4 and then the iPad Air and the iPad Air 2 and so quickly, my very special iPad became a dinosaur and, uh, and started slowing down. And, it, and it, less than a month later, it was practically worthless. But that's life, you know? The question in life is always, what's next? You know, the next phone. Oh, your phone has a camera? My phone has a microwave oven. You know, I can, I can microwave a pizza just by pointing my phone at it. I can, I can do all kinds of wonderful things with my phone. Cars, you know, they finally got us used to backup cameras. Some of you people have backup cameras on your cars. That's great. You know, now they've got cars that park themselves. You don't have to teach kids how to parallel park ever again. They, they, they just park themselves. Now they're working on cars that drive themselves. I actually read an article a while back that said that the child born today, a child born today will likely never have to learn to drive a car because they will drive themselves. By the time... You know, we're a little bit older, it'll be like the Jetsons. You know, you carry it around a briefcase and you fly off. And, and seasons of, of life are like that too. You know, it's, it's graduation season right now and school, the school year is at an end. But what do we call graduation? We call it commencement, which means the beginning because you've just ended this season of life. Now it's time to ask what's next. Now I hope we don't just do that with technology and with with graduation, I hope we view our faith with an eye of what's next also. There's never a moment in the Christian life when I can say, well, I've arrived. I'm doing it right now. You know, this is, this is as good as it gets. I've got the Christian life all figured out. You know, next year's iPad will be faster. It'll be better. It'll be more stable. And the hope in faith is that next year's Brett will be more stable. That would be nice. That would be a nice thing to have. We should all keep growing. We should all keep moving and becoming more loving and more 
caring and more gracious and, and more and more like Jesus. That means growing in His heart and that means growing in His call on our lives. And that's exactly what we've been looking at over the past few weeks. The call of Jesus. We started with His call to His followers when He called His disciples to be fishers of men. He said, from now on you will catch people with the Gospel, with the good news. Last week we saw that His call is to seek the lost sheep. That that is the very heart of Jesus. To call the lost home. So what does that look like when it's lived out in our lives? What does that look like when we live that out? What's the big what's next for us? And what we see through Scripture is that the goal of grace isn't for me to arrive. The goal of grace is for me to, to pass it on to the next person. Now there's a story that Luke tells us in Acts chapter 8, verses 26-40. through 40. It's on those, uh, in those Bibles that you, they're there in front of you. It's page 917. And in many ways, this story illustrates the call to reach out to people who need Jesus. I believe that, that you and I have been placed in the lives of family members and friends and co-workers uh, so that we can share the Gospel. Uh, so that we can lead people to Jesus and reach out to them. You know, we we have friends and family members. We have co-workers who've never accepted the Gospel. They've never come to a point of decision about who Jesus is for them. And I don't believe God put us in, our, in their lives by accident. I think we're there with purpose. The purpose is for you and I to share the call of Jesus with them and to help them ask that question, what's next? That, that what's next question starts with us, though. It starts with us when we hear the call of Jesus on our own lives and we decide to engage our friends with the good news. Now here in Acts chapter 8, we are reintroduced to someone that we met already in Acts. A couple chapters earlier, we met a man named Philip. Philip in Acts chapter 6 was part of the Jerusalem church. First Christian church in Jerusalem, right? He was there in the Jerusalem church and Philip was appointed by the, by the apostles to be one of the seven. These, are kind of, these, these seven men were like early church deacons. Philip's job, along with Stephen and a bunch of other guys, was to distribute food to the widows in the church in Jerusalem. Their job was to take care of physical needs. But it seems like Philip was someone who never stopped asking the question, what's next? And, and as he grew in his faith, he grew in his calling. He grew in what he did for Jesus. His ministry grew. And so, while he's taking food to widows in Acts chapter 6. Here's what happens in Acts chapter 8. We begin there in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, who's queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, and hearing him reading Isaiah the prophet, he asked, do you understand what you are reading? Luke makes a point of telling us this is a desert place. And I don't think he's telling us that to tell us about the climate. I think he's telling us that to tell us about the conversation. This was a desert. There was nothing around them but desert. There was nothing in front of them but road. There were no distractions. It was the perfect place 
to have a long conversation. And that's exactly what Philip did. He, he listens to this angel who says, go to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. He listened to the Spirit who said, go and, and stand near that chariot. And when he stands near that chariot, he hears this man, this Ethiopian man, reading something, and, and I think it must have sounded familiar to Philip. I mean, through the accent, through the particular pronunciations of, of that Ethiopian man, he heard the words of the prophet Isaiah. And it was a perfect opportunity for him to engage the conversation and ask the question, do you understand what you're reading? Can I help you understand what you're reading? And so Philip begins the conversation with a question. I think that's very important for us to understand. If we're honest, we don't spend enough time listening to other people. We spend too much time waiting to talk and not listening. We spend too much time telling people who they should be, what they should believe, who they should, who they should be, what they should be, what they shouldn't be, and we don't listen to them. And there's nothing engaging about that, and there's very little of Jesus in that. We go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we read about Jesus' interactions in the Gospels. In the Gospels, Jesus is asked 183 questions. Read all through the Gospels. Jesus is asked 183 questions. He answers three of them. <laughs> but He responds with 307 of His own questions. If we simply approach people with all the answers, first of all, we don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Right there, we're in trouble, aren't we? We've stifled engagement. We've put a big stop on the conversation. And if we approach as if we have all the answers, we've killed any sense of what's next for these people. We have to decide to engage others. We have to have conversations. We have to hear their questions. And we have to allow God to move us forward. And He does that as we develop relationships that allow us to speak into their lives. Philip asks the man in verse 30, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And, and the man responds in verse 31, and he says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. There are times when we are tempted to approach other people with boldness, to be very forward with our message, and there's times when we're, when we're tempted to tell people exactly what they need to do. Repent! Come to Jesus! You know, and, and have that moment. Change your ways! I want to remind you, an angel has already told Philip, get to this road. An angel appeared to Philip and says, go, go to that road. The road that goes from Gaza to Jerusalem, go get on that road. And then the Holy Spirit Himself told Philip, go stand by that chariot. Go over there by that chariot and stand. But Philip still waits until the man invites him in. He waits until the man invites him to come and sit in the chariot. That response, that invitation, was just as much a part as the angel speaking to him, as the Holy Spirit speaking to him. Sometimes we have to earn the right to be heard. And that can take time. You know, we, 
we live in we live in an age when everyone has an opinion, right? Everybody's got an opinion, and everybody's got really thin skin. You know what I mean, right? Everybody's got an opinion. They've all got really thin skin. I don't know if you pay any attention to the arguments that happen on Facebook, but have you ever seen anyone change their opinion based on an argument on Facebook? They don't do it. It doesn't work. They won't change their opinions. That old in-your-face approach with the Gospel, that, that puts up walls so quickly. There are people that we really want to see come to Christ. But what have we done to be invited in? And sit and listen. What have we done to, to be heard? Do we know what haunts them? Do, do we know what has hurt them in their lives? Do we know what keeps them up at night? Do we know what frightens them? Do, do we know their stories? Have we listened to their stories? Have we been there when they simply needed a neighbor or, or needed a friend? You know, as we've looked at the call over the last few weeks, we've heard Jesus has called us. And two weeks ago, we looked at Luke chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus says to His disciples, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You will be fishers of men. Last week, we, we heard His heart. We heard the heart of Jesus as we looked at the lost sheep. And Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where it says that for the Son of Man, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus has a heart for the lost. And yet, statistics continue to tell us that for the average American Christian, within five years of becoming a Christian, every relationship that they have, every meaningful relationship that they have within five years is within the church. Every meaningful interaction they have is with someone who already shares their faith. They go to church, they go to Sunday school, they go to Bible studies, they go to group meetings, they go to potlucks. Every meaningful interaction they have within five years is with another Christian. And while I think that sounds great, that's not the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is, is with the lost. That's not the heart of Jesus. And, and that's not where we can answer His call. You read on in verse 30. Philip ran up to him and Hearing him reading Isaiah the prophet, he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? I love this. It just so happens that this man from Ethiopia traveling on the road that Philip has been told to go by an angel to this road, Philip has been told by the Holy Spirit, go and stand next to this chariot. It just so happens that he's reading from Isaiah the prophet. Now Isaiah is a book in the Old Testament. It's a really long book. There's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. He's one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And it just so happens that out of all the books in the Old Testament, this man's reading Isaiah. And out of all the passages in Isaiah, he's reading what we know as Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 was written about 600 years before the time of Jesus. And yet it perfectly describes Jesus' sacrifice to the T. It describes crucifixion. It says that He was pierced for our transgressions. And yet, 
crucifixion didn't even exist when Isaiah wrote these words. It, it describes his scourging by his stripes, by the stripes that were placed upon his body. We are healed. And yet Jesus had not yet been born. What are the odds? Well, it's not about the odds, is it? It's about God who was already at work in this man's life. He was guiding that man to this moment. Now, I believe that the same God is working in our lives and working in the lives of the people around us. That's not a question. I know that happens. The question for us is, where are we? Are we in church with all of our friends? Are we out there building relationships and coming to that point where we're invited to speak into other people's lives? Have we developed relationships that allow us to be heard, that welcome us to speak? And once we've done that, are we able to discern the next appropriate step? Are we able to discern the next appropriate step to lead them to Jesus? The Ethiopian man is reading, and he wonders, who's Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? Who is he speaking of? Who is this man? And then, it says in verse 35, you know, look at verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and said, you're going to hell! Repent! He doesn't say that. It's not at all what it says. Instead, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Never forget it's good news. Make sure it sounds like good news when you tell people the good news. Make sure it sounds like good news. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. We don't have the whole conversation here, so I'm going to make some assumptions. I always make some assumptions here. But isn't it interesting to note that the Ethiopian is the one who brings up baptism? Isn't it interesting to note that the Ethiopian seems to come to his conclusion about baptism on his own? That, that Philip didn't have to convince him that he needed to get baptized? Philip didn't have to twist his arm about it? Philip didn't sit in the chariot and sing 12 verses of, Just as I am, I have decided. One more verse. No. The, the eunuch comes to that conclusion on his own. Here is water. What prevents me from being baptized. And I think it's a reminder that if we've only told people about Jesus, but we've not brought them to that point of commitment, we've not yet fulfilled our call. Philip starts with Isaiah. And he explains who Jesus was. He explains that He was Israel's Messiah. That He was Israel's King. But he also explains that He is your Savior because in your sin you are lost. You are without hope. There is no promise of eternal life. But through Jesus, we can have that life. We can have that hope of eternity with Him. That's not just news. That's good news. And good news, good news calls for a response. Back in 2013, we were blessed 
to have Frank Vale attending church here. And Frank was sick. Frank had cancer and the, the prognosis wasn't good. And we prayed and we prayed and we gave. We, we hosted a, a benefit here for Frank and we raised money for Frank and, and we visited Frank and we, we cared for Frank. We loved on Frank. And, and Frank sat back there, kind of where his sister's sitting right now. Frank sat right back there week after week listening to me preach. And I could tell that he was listening. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I can tell if you're listening. I watch your eyes and I can tell whether or not you're listening to me right now. Some of you just woke up. It was great. Frank heard me preach. I was preaching through Romans back then. Frank heard me preach a lot of stuff about salvation, a lot of stuff about sin. Frank heard words like, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He heard things like that, and I could tell he heard them. And week after week, I would preach about salvation and, and baptism and taking Jesus as your Lord and the hope of heaven. And every week, he sat back there and just sat. And I would come back with a new sermon and I'd think, this is going to get him. And he just sat like a lump, like a brick. One day I decided it was time to go over to the house and have a talk. Frank and I had developed a relationship at that time that I, I believe allowed me to speak, allowed me to, to be heard. And I sat there in the living room. Sue, his wife, was sitting on the couch next to me. I always remember that, Sue. And Frank was over in his chair. And I said, Frank, I'm not pushy. And I heard Sue whisper in my ear, be pushy. <laughs> I said, Frank, I don't know what to do. I'm all out of sermons. I am all out of sermons. I've given you everything that I know. What's holding you back? And Frank said, Brett, got it here. I understand it here, but I don't feel it here, and I don't know how to get it in here. And I heard that, and I discerned the next appropriate step, and I said to Frank something like, Frank, that's not your job. It's not your job to get it in here. That's what God does, and if you give yourself to him, he will show you that. And I asked him if he wanted to be baptized, and he said he did. And so I think the following Wednesday, we arranged for Frank to be baptized here. We took video, and I've watched the video over and over again. I, I thought about showing you the video, but it's just too much. But in the video, when I pull Frank up out of the water, all of a sudden, he looks over at Sue, and there's this smile on his face, and he starts nodding. He got it. About a week before Frank died, we were visiting and we were praying. Frank got choked up and he said, I got one regret. He said, my regret is that I didn't get to know you sooner. And I agree. But you know, I look at the story of this man from Ethiopia. Philip, the Holy Spirit, an angel and the Holy Spirit put Philip on that road. The Holy Spirit put Philip alongside him, uh, alongside that chariot, and the Holy Spirit was already leading that man through the story of Jesus in Isaiah. 
And I look at that and I understand that God's timing is amazing and God brought us all alongside Frank and Sue at just the perfect time. This story ends really weird. It ends really weird. Verse 39, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus. As he passed through, he preached the Gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I mean, that's just weird. You know, it's, it's like the, the Holy Spirit beamed him up. I don't know. He just took him away and, and dropped him off somewhere near Azotus. But the story ends, you can't miss that it ends with the man from Ethiopia rejoicing. It ends with rejoicing. But it also ends with Philip taking the Gospel to new places, being emboldened to, to carry the Gospel in new places. But this man ends, The story ends with this man rejoicing. His life has changed. You see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Some of you need to hear those words for yourself today. Some, some, for some of you, it's time to ask the question, what's next? You've been with us for a while. And I know you've heard the good news of Jesus. And you've come to understand who Jesus is. You've come to understand who, who God called Jesus to be, who Jesus is, that He is Lord, that He is Savior. And you know what you need to do. You need to respond to Him. And, and so I would ask you, along with this man from Ethiopia, what prevents you from being baptized? What's next for you? And we're thankful that you're with us. We're thankful that we are invited to speak into your lives. And we would love to help you with the next step. Now, in a, in a few moments, I'm going to pray. We're going to stand up and I'm going to pray. And I've asked our elders if they would go back. I think my office is unlocked. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's unlocked. But if you'll open that door back there and, 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 and just be, be available. We've asked our elders and their wives to, to be available and, and to be back there. A few others to be available and be back there. And my office is just a, it's just a nice place to talk. It's a nice place to talk. And it's a nice place to talk about what that next step is. And if you're feeling the need here at the end of the service or maybe here as we finish up and as people are walking out, just go back there and, and talk with them for a little bit. If you're feeling it's time to take that next step with Jesus, we would love to help you find what that next step is. Let's stand together and pray. Jesus, we've heard your call to share the gospel with people around us. We felt your heart we felt that your heart is to search for that one lost sheep. And today we see how you work through us and through our relationships to use us to engage people in discussions that have eternal consequences. And so my prayer for this crowd here today is that you would show them how angels have guided them into the lives, into, into the lives of their friends. That they would hear the Holy Spirit's prompting to move closer and they would know the importance of sharing their faith with the lost around them. And for those here today who hear the prompting to move closer, I pray that they will embrace their what next and give themselves fully to you, knowing that you stand ready to give yourself fully to them. We look forward to the ways that you will answer these prayers today and into the next week and into the next months. What's next, Lord? Please show us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.